everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Engage to Flourish podcast. This is Damon. I got Kyle with me and we have a very special guest because to this episode is our Ask the Pastor episode. So we've invited Pastor Barry to come help answer some of our congregation questions. Welcome to the show, Pastor Barry. Thanks, Damon. Great to be here again. And look forward to uh, getting it going. So our last episode, that or the last time we did Ask the Pastor, it was pretty long. So maybe we should just get <laughs> jump right into yeah, let's it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So our first question that was submitted is from Mark Sakakura, and Mark asks about Romans chapter eight verse twenty nine. And his question is: I need clarification of pre known and predestination. So let's read uh, that verse, and then we can get started on asking the pastor. So Romans eight twenty nine says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. All right, Pastor Barry. So Mark asks again, I need clarification of pre-known and predestination. Okay, let me just first say <laughs> this topic of predestination has been debated, argued yeah. throughout the beginnings <laughs> of Christianity. So I don't pretend to think that we are even <laughs> going to. <laughs> there are much smarter people who have come down on different sides and have different mm-hmm. understandings of this, of this question. Um, <clears throat> but let me just say a few things first. Um, to me, um, you know, Prenone talks about God foreknowing. So he has um, ultimate understanding and foresight. Um, and then predetermining or predestination, I think, has to do with the uh, kind of the idea of predetermining, mm. right? So um, let me just start by saying whenever you deal with this topic of predestination or foreknowledge, you enter into the, the twilight zone <laughs> of time. Yeah. And whenever you get into time, um, that's a... Uh, uh, a topic and a subject I think that is really far, far beyond our limited human understanding. Um, you know, I just heard something the other day. I was watching something um, about um, kind of an apologetics thing about the the Big Bang Theory. Mm. And I think it was even a Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he had this, um, I can't remember his name. He had like a, a apologist, uh, mm. Christian apologetics mm. kind of guy on and um, he was talking about, you know, time and the Big Bang. And the Big Bang was started, most, most scientists believe that it started from a singularity, right? The Big Bang. And, um, you know, they were talking about, well, what was before the Big Bang, right? And, da, 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 da. and you get into all of those kinds of things and even Einstein. And you, I think you begin to realize that we think of time as something constant, right? Mm. But really, you know, from Einstein, my understanding is that no time is relative, right? And with the Big Bang Theory, there was a point where actually time, time began. Mm. Before that, there was no time, right? And so, um, yeah, so to think that God is outside of the dimension of time, mm. that he was, is eternally in the past, the present, and the future— I think just 
pondering that could give you a headache. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I was growing up, that was some of those types of questions would keep me up at night, and I'd ask my parents about it, and they would say, how, how are we supposed to know the answer to that question? <laughs> yeah, Damon, you were a smart kid. You were asking these <laughs> grand philosophical questions and <laughs> giving your parents gray hairs even when they were young. But um, yeah, so so I think just preface this whole discussion, I think kind of with, with that, that in mind. Um, but with that in mind, let me just try to answer more from my own under, limited human understanding pers- perspective. Um, I think in, in the passage in particular, it's interesting because it says that God, those who God, well, well first, the verse before that, it got, says God works all things out for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, mm-hmm. right? So there's a certain context of God working everything for the good of people that, mm-hmm. that love the Lord. And so when it says to, for those he foreknew, I think it refers to those who love the Lord mm-hmm. are the ones that he foreknew that they would choose to love him Mm. and for those that he foreknew he predestined and it doesn't say predestined for salvation it says Mm -hmm. he predestined them to be made in the image of christ is something we've talked about and we talk about in our church is our goal is to become like christ to be Mm -hmm. to for god to restore through christ what he originally created adam and eve as in the image of god Mm -hmm. right and all of us and so that's what he predestined to become. And then those who pre, he predestined, he, um, I think it says he um, called, and those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, think, I think what this is talking about is that God knowing those who would love him and creating a plan and moving it such that they would move to his ultimate end that they would be glorified and restored to their, mm-hmm. to their, to the image of God. Um, uh, so, um, you know, um, personally, I think for me, this idea that, that God chose those who would be saved and those who would not be saved. Um, you know, I think there is an aspect of that, that is true, but I don't know if we can truly know, uh, understand that. And how does that work with God giving us free will, mm-hmm. right? I think, to me, the Bible is pretty clear that um, God um, has all authority, and yet, and yet he, it affirms that God is fully committed to honoring and uh, giving and honoring the free, free will of people. Because, you know, I think I talk about this a lot in our church that um, without free will, love cannot exist, mm-hmm. right? Right. And so, um, you know, to think that God chose, okay, you're in, you're in, you're in, you're out, you're, you're out. Right. Then how could love come from that if right. we were chosen, forced, determined to love him, right? Um, and so, um, yeah, so I think there's that there's kind of a understanding that both exist and we don't know how it exists together, right? Both exist. Um, and, and one other thing, let me just, before you guys could jump in, one more thing, I think, just for clarification, for me personally, this is my, my personal take, is I make a distinction between authority and control. Mm-hmm. 
that God has all authority. And this is, again, speaking from my limited human understanding. God has all authority. He has retained authority. He is in authority of all things. But that doesn't mean necessarily that God controls every single thing that happens. For example, God doesn't control the choice of a person to choose to sin. That would make God responsible for that sin. So I think God in his authority chose to relinquish some of his control, right, by giving people free will um, so that we would be free to choose to love him or not. And only in that way, because God's end game is wanting, loving relationship with people. And that cannot be attained if God exercised complete, utter, absolute control of every single thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now God could take back control it whenever he wanted to, <laughs> yeah, right? Because right? right. he has the authority, right? Right. But I, so that's kind of some of the ways I understand how it works in that question. Yeah, I think <clears throat> for me too, I wonder if the way this is written, if Paul is even talking about really God foreknew everyone and predestined everyone because he chose everyone to come to him, but not everybody chooses to accept it. So he could even say that, yeah, God foreknew us and he predestined, but then that's only half the equation. And then there's still, do are people going to accept that mm-hmm. and, and take that, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think you can have both. He, he could call everybody and predestine everybody to, to know him and to believe in him. But then yeah, there's, that's where the free will comes in and he can, he doesn't choose for us. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I do think I do think in our society it's a tough one because people don't like that that thought of, well things are determined for me, I, I I have no say, and and I I rightfully I agree with that. But then when you when you have that mindset and you read a verse where it, it kind of looks like that, then it kind of can throw you off and you might get down a, a path where it's not the intention of the writer. Yeah, I think. Uh, in looking at this one, especially when you see terms like predestined and things like that, sometimes we latch onto those words mm-hmm. instead of looking at it in context. So I like how you uh, try to look through the verse before as well, because now that I read it, it do- it does seem to say something differently, right? So it's t- like you said, it was talking about um, the people that love God, right? And that he foreknew that they would. And for those people they are predestined to then what conform to the likeness of his son. Right. So all the people that love God, that would, that's his destiny for them is to be conformed to the likeness of his son through Jesus Christ. So I think that is a cool way to look at it. And sometimes we just get our minds wrapped around some of these language things. And that's been something that we've been um, kind of wrestling through with some of our prep for retreat even is, are there certain words that people are going to latch onto that have, meanings already to them mm-hmm. and are those going to be positive things or are those going to be negative things so just being careful of the language that we use because some carry different types of baggage with them and so making sure that for clarity's sake we want to make sure that we're using the correct language so that people can understand really what we're trying to get at and not get confused and think we're actually talking about something else that we're not talking about mm-hmm. yeah i think in even that context thing in chapter nine, he kind of kind of carries over that same theme of God's chosen people, and he kind of talks through that. So it's 
there's a diff- there's there's more than just that verse of yeah there's a a foreknowledge and a predestination there's there's more to it so that he's trying to get across All right, you guys ready to, to move to, on to the next way question? Way to kick off with our first big one, Mark. Thanks a lot. <laughs> well, uh, oh. L- l- I, I thought um, another verse popped into my mind, and um, Mark didn't ask about this verse, but I'm just going to throw it out. <laughs> just to leave everyone with things to think about. <laughs> bonus. And, right, I got yeah, a bonus part right and here. And it relates to this issue of, of predestination. And let me ask you guys all a question. <laughs> what did, what does the Bible mean when it says in Romans nine, just said this is it as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Mm. So I'll leave that. You you have to answer that question. <laughs> On the fly? <laughs> All right, Everyone so, thought this was asked the pastor who no one thought it was the pastor's gonna ask us. So <laughs> I'm gonna throw a Damon under the bus and give oh, him great. the first shot since he gave me first shot on the, the last one after Barry's response. So Damon, uh it's coming your way. Oh, I thought we were just leaving that for our listeners. I didn't think we were actually going to try to answer that right oh, now. Oh, I thought you not that you wanted us to answer it. No, I was just going to oh. leave it for the listeners. Oh, man, I wanted to, I was watching Damon sweat already. <laughs> I know I was sweating a little bit when you <laughs> Okay, so let's move on to our second question. Again, this one So so maybe maybe on our third episode of Ask the Pastor, we can uh uh go back to that one and circle back. <laughs> or or maybe the next one won't be Ask the Pastor. Maybe the next one will just be Pastor Barry asking questions, oh. and we get other listeners to answer them. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so for our next question, is this one was submitted by Marilyn Hatanaka, and this question is referring to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and she's referencing verses 3 to 16. Um, but we're going to just read 3 to 5 right now so that we can... It kind of gives the gist of what the whole thing is about, and we don't want to, everyone to have to sit through all the verses, but First um, Corinthians 11, 3 to 5 goes like this. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head, but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. So Marilyn's question is, can you explain the meaning of women covering their heads and men not during public worship? And why are we not following this today? Okay. Um, I think whenever we read the Bible, one of the things we have to ask ourselves is what's being taught here or what is the truth that the Lord is bringing forth through the word. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think one of the questions is, is this truth or principle a universal truth for all people in all places at all times? Or is it situational? Is um, God through Paul addressing a particular situation that, um, you know, there might be wisdom in it or principles in it, but it's particularly for that situation so, so when, when you say situational is that sometimes like <clears throat> cultural like that that kind of a situation yeah so i think in in this case um the issue that paul is addressing and basically first corinthians paul is responding to specific mm-hmm. issues in the first in the corinthian church mm-hmm. um there's different major issues he addresses and um the issue i think he is addressing here is 
the issue of contentious women in the congregation <laughs> that were causing a ruckus and causing difficulty, mm-hmm. um, causing um, dissension and conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I. Th- if you look at, let's see, I think the verse 16 of that passage, it says, if anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other place, nor do the churches of God. Mm. So I think he's address, specifically addressing the issue of contentious women. And the way he addresses it is by, I think, appealing to well-known, common Jewish practice. So it was, it was a very cultural practice, which we see in a lot of Middle Eastern countries today, mm-hmm. which is the the women covering their heads. Mm. You know, um, and so I think he goes to that very common, agreed upon tradition and practice within Middle Eastern and in specifically Jewish culture of women covering the, their heads to show um, honor and respect, and that they're under um, the authority of the husband or the a man, and then um, the man demonstrates his authority by having his head uncovered Mm -hmm. okay and then paul goes to that and then he kind of explains the theological meaning behind that practice Mm -hmm. which is like he said it's the um the idea of the man is representative of christ to the church and so he has his head uncovered and then the woman representing that submission to authority or another way we could put it i know this has come up it's not only just submission but protection under Mm -hmm. the protective care Mm -hmm. of right Mm -hmm. the man the husband and so um i think for me in in this um, passage while i do believe there is validity and truth behind the theology theological points he's trying to make the idea of um, i do think that God has, just for the purposes of order in society and in a household, I do think that he has given men um, authority within the household. Um, Although I believe that the way the man is supposed to exercise that authority is to love his wife and love his family as Christ has loved the church Mm -hmm. and we know how Christ loved the church. <laughs> mm-hmm. He died for the church. Right. And so, <laughs> right. Um, but I think there is that, that biblical truth, but I think um, the practice of women covering their heads and uh, et cetera, that go, that speaks to a cultural practice of that day. Mm-hmm. And um, which I don't think we're bound to um, today. Um so um, although I think we are still, the most important part of it, I think, is the idea of submission and actually mu- mutual submission mm-hmm. because um, in that passage too, in that section, he also talks about in verse 11, in the Lord, however, women, uh, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. Mm-hmm. And I know in Ephesians 5, it also, it also talks about, before it gets into the whole section about um, um, women's be subject to your husband as to the Lord. Husbands love your wives as the Lord. Um, right before that, it says, um, "Submit one another mm. as to the Lord." So I think that is applicable to men submitting to women and women submitting to men. You know, so there is that. But um, 
yeah, but I think to Marilyn's question, I think um, the covering was a particular cultural um, practice that Paul went to to illustrate a theological truth. Uh, I don't think that practice is what is being commanded necessarily for us, but it but the theological truth behind it, I think it still has weight. Mm. Yeah, when I when I read that too, I was had some questions and then um, digging into it. Yeah, it seems like it's it's symbolic, right? The head covering thing. It's it's symbolic of the point he's trying to get across. Um, I I was wondering. Okay, so I was wondering why the man doesn't have his head covered because then in the Jewish culture they wear a head covering when they're like praying and stuff too. So I thought there was like a little bit of a disconnect for me wondering why. Um, so that was one thing. And then also there's also the cultural, um, what do you call it? Like representations of women taking their head covering off. That would be seen as they're like immoral, especially sexually. So then there's, you're also giving off an image that in the, they weren't necessarily bound to have their head covered because they had freedom in Christ, but in the culture, they're also then portraying that they're something else by cultural standards. And then um, I also read that in the Romans, in the Roman culture, when they worship their gods, the men put a covering over their head. So then men covering their head would look like they're following like pagan practices. So um, I wasn't, sh- yeah, I just wasn't sure why the, the men, in this passage, say don't have their head covered. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. Well, it doesn't it say that why the men don't have their head covered because it shows authority or right. But then, but then in Jewish culture, they still have their head covered. So, or at least a, a head covering. Well, kind of like I think, kind of like you said in uh, in your statement about them being separate from the pagan culture. I think this is a way for them to be separate from even the Jewish culture, mm. right? So they're saying. It's not oh. like we're saying you have to go back to being a Jewish person. I see. Right? Because a lot of these people that are in the Corinthian church, these are not, this is not Israel that they're talking to, right? right? So they're, he's not saying, okay, you have to go back and act like a Jewish person. Right, like circumcision and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So what is it going to be that separates you from the culture, right? And so these are certain practices that will separate us from the culture, right? And so I think that's part of, what he's alluding to too is how are we separate from the culture? What's going to help us to stand out or how, how are people going to see, Oh, there's something different about them. Mm. Right. And these are some physical ways that they can that are representative of the spiritual things that are going on. Yeah. Symbolic. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. well, just, but I, I think that's where it speaks to also understanding the, the culture, uh, understanding who these are written to, and, and those are important too. And sometimes when these verses are taken just as verses without the context, they can be used to really damage mm. people, right? And really be hurtful to people because they are taking out, you know, this language out of the context that it was actually written mm-hmm. and just using it for power or, you know, to just people throw their weight around. Right. And so I think that's why it's important for us to make sure that as we're reading the Bible, you know, as we're going through the reading plan, you know, a lot of Bibles have, you know, at the beginning of each book, some information on Mm -hmm. background and historical. So it's good to read those two, not just what's assigned for that day. But, you know, every time we switch over to a new book, kind of understanding who this letter or who this book is written to and what's going on at that time. I think it's important, too. 
I think I, I just think it's awesome that this is kind of an aside, but I think it's awesome that these questions are are actually you can see they're coming from the reading because we've mm-hmm. been through moments we've been through First yeah. Corinthians, and so um, keep it up. I want to encourage all of you to stay with the reading plan, even if you do a mini habit and read a couple of verses from the chapter assigned each day. Um, the habit of reading the Word every day is a, I think it's a valuable foundational habit for us and i i did a, i appreciated your answer you said i don't know because <laughs> i think there's sometimes i can be curious we can be curious about sometimes the minute things that I mean, we could go spend a lot of time and go find out like what it really meant or what it might have meant but so there's, there's sometimes it's just like i don't know I, it's not that important and i'll spend my time on things that are more important because uh, no, like that, that question I had, it's like, it was more curiosity, more cultural, like mm-hmm. what, what was going yeah. on. Does it really matter? It might bring a little more depth, but sometimes it's just, I don't know. And that's okay. Yeah. That did cross my mind, but I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our next question. This one's from Ezra. Shout out to Ezra for coming on our last episode and yeah. doing a great job. Woo. Okay, so this question is about Romans 8.20, which says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the slavery to corruption and the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I think Ezra was reading from a different version. He was reading the NLT. Okay, so he was reading from NLT. I just read from NASB. Um because his question doesn't use some of the language that I just read. <laughs> so in NLT, it says, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope. Okay, so Ezra's question is, what is God's curse, and what does it mean that all creation was subjected to it against its will? Great question, Ezra. Um, glad you're, you brought this up. Um, so <clears throat> to me, when I read this, it, it just immediately brought me back to Genesis chapter three, mm-hmm. right? There was the, the fall, Adam and Eve ate from the, mm-hmm. the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. And as a result, God said that if you eat from the tree, you will die. And I think they did die spiritually, right? They were at that point separated from God. Um, but God then proceeds to give the consequences, the curse, the, the consequences of them sinning, right? Mm-hmm. So he gives a curse to the, the serpent, gives the curse to Adam, and gives curse to, to Eve. Mm-hmm. Um, but the curse to Adam has to do with the ground, mm-hmm. right? And um, from that point forward, through the sweat of his brow, through pra- painful toil, right, he will till the ground, um, It'll produce thorns and thistles. And so at the moment Adam and Eve um, sinned, then I think they, they see, because they were given authority and they were called by God to rule over the earth, mm-hmm. to cultivate the earth, right? To mm-hmm. multiply the earth and create, I believe, his kingdom family on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they sinned, they violated and they abdicated that authority and that actually gave Satan then authority over the earth. Um, one of the passages that points to that is when um, Jesus was in the wilderness and mm. he was tempted in the wilderness, Satan 
um, I think the last temptation, he takes him to the high pinnacle and he says, all of the kingdoms of the world I will give you if you bow down and worship me. Mm-hmm. And, then Satan, and then Jesus didn't say, you can't do that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you don't have the authority to do that. He just said, no, it says you shall worship the Lord your God only. Um, and I think in that way, there's an acknowledgement by Jesus that, yes, Satan does have authority over the whole world. In fact, other passages, passages say he's the God of this world, mm-hmm. right? And so so I think at the moment Adam and Eve sinned, not only did they suffer the consequences, but all of creation mm-hmm. suffered the consequences of the sin and being becoming fallen, right? Right at that point, and so that that's the curse that it's talking about. And creation wasn't; they didn't have a say in yeah. Adam and Eve's city. And <laughs> right, so right. that's the part that was against the will of creation. And then, right in Romans, it it says that all creation is groaning, mm. longing for the sons of men to be redeemed or be to, to be glorified, because. All of creation at that point will be returned to its the glory um, that God originally created creation to have. Yeah, I I get to go after him every time. Yeah, because so, my job is to facilitate. Host. So <laughs> we have a dueling pointing at <laughs> yeah. right here. They are pointing at each other. You go, you go, you go. <laughs> no, I mean, all, yeah, just what you said, Barry. It's that. Like the animals didn't didn't have a say. Like, oh, now I have to die. I mean, they they didn't do anything wrong, but it was because Adam and Eve were part of God's creation. They were still part of the whole thing. That once when they fell and they became tainted, it it, it tainted everything, and so it was against their will. Um, and yeah, that's God's curse is that it wasn't creation wasn't able to continue the way He intended it to be. Yeah, I think it's interesting to think of it in, in this way because a lot of times when we think of sin, I think we think of it as an individual thing. And it's like, wow, sin is not just an in- individual thing. There's repercussions that echo you know, more than just what's going on in me or what's going on in the person that I sinned against, but that can reach out even farther than that. And so to think of kind of the grandeur of of, of what sin is, is, is kind of like amazing how big of a thing it is. But I think that's why, you know, the Lord knows that that's why he sent Jesus because this big thing needed to a big, um, solution to it. Yeah. And and then another point, I just kind of like a, kind of an aside, I thought just an interesting aspect that I don't think we really realize, um, you know, from some of the imagery painted in the Bible about um, heaven or the new earth mm-hmm. and how you get the sense that all of creation, right, just will emanate mm. the glory of God, that mm-hmm. there, there will be a life, a light uh, emanating from the trees, mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. all of creation. And, um, you know, we kind of just get a, little taste of that now you walk in nature and you go wow and mm-hmm. see a sunset mm-hmm. and oh man but that's just that's just something minute like it's a tainted you know distorted fraction of <clears throat> the the image of god that of uh, that 
or the glory of God that is reflected in creation that will one day be restored and um, uh, not uh, I mean and not only to speak of the glory of us you know being in our created restored state of reflecting the image of God I think it I mean it's going to be unbelievable like um, yeah awesome to behold I think yeah yeah, that's the next verse, right? It says, creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we get those little glimpses here and there, um, but it's just nothing compared to what the beauty that God intended it to be. Um, one one thing I, I did want to point out, too, because like you said, it's a different version that he read from, so his question came across differently. But I've been enjoying my kids reading. Uh, they, we read through the NLT, and I grew up with NIV mostly. And then just even reading that verse from NIV to NLT, it's like if I was reading it as a kid, I, I wouldn't get it as much. But the NLT brings, I think, different wording that a younger reader might be able to connect with. So if parents, if you have kids, uh, try different versions, maybe that kids might connect with uh, a little bit easier with some of the terminology. Did you guys see the movie um, Avatar? Mm-hmm. The, the new one? Well, either one. Uh, so I saw the first one, but I don't remember it very well. <clears throat> So, you know, as we're talking about, like, what the glory mm. of the the new heaven, new earth looks like, like, when they started walking around at night and then they they stepped and it started to glow, it's like, oh, I wonder if that's what it's actually supposed to look like, be like, where everything is just so cool that, like, light is coming out of them. And it, it's mm. just like, I remember the first time I watched that movie, I was like, like, just wow, mm. right? And, I, and it's like, is that what it's going to be like? We're just going to be like, wow, like this is amazing, right? And kind of brings to mind too, like when Jesus was transfigured or when Moses went up onto the, the mountain, right? And, you know, Moses had to wear a veil because he was glowing, right? And then, you know, um, it said that the disciples looked at Jesus and he was glowing too, right? And it's like, wow, is that what it's going to be like in our glorious <clears throat> form and what the glorious heavens and new earth is going to look like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's a good imagery. Although, uh, disclaimer, I don't, I, I, and I don't think at all you were saying this, but I just, just popped in my head. We're not saying that it's going to be Awa and Mother Nature. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm not, no, I'm, not, I'm, I'm definitely no, I, not I saying knew, that. I knew you were not saying that. It's just that imagery. Good, good disclaimer. I don't want people to like, well, are they saying that? It's gonna... <laughs> Otherwise, we'll have a whole nother set of questions for us to pa- ask the pastor. Right. <laughs> are you guys heretics or what? <laughs> All right, let's go to our next question. And this one's from Eli. Eli, I'm giving you a shout out too. You got to come on the podcast now. You're the only Anima that hasn't been on. Right, come on. (laughs) It's your turn. It's your turn. Uh, Okay, so this, so Eli's question is from Romans 5, 13. And um, that goes, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned, in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Okay, so his question is, uh, it, the verse says, Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not any law to break. So by law, does it mean the Ten Commandments? If so, does that mean everyone who lived before the Ten Commandments were given is sinless and therefore in heaven? 
Good question, Eli. I love it. Um, Romans is, I think, one of my favorite <laughs> books of the Bible. Uh, it has so many deep, awesome, powerful theological truths in there and teachings. And um, so this is a good question, Eli. Um, I think um, in this passage it says, you know, um, from the NLT, it says people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. And so um, I think the idea biblically from for me from Romans is that sin was not account, counted against them mm-hmm. because there was no law in place. But that does not mean that they did not sin mm-hmm. because we know in other passages you know, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And also it's very interesting because in Romans 1.20, it talks about the idea that people are without excuse because they see God revealed in nature. We were just talking about mm-hmm. that in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but they see God revealed in nature, nature, so that's what's called natural revelation. There's a awareness, there's a revelation of God even in creation itself. Uh, and so people um, are without excuse because he even reveals himself apart from Christ through, through creation. And then I think there's a very telling passage. It's from Romans 2, 14 and 15. Let me read it for you. It says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires— they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. Mm. So I think what that says to me is that even people that did not have the law or do not have an awareness of the law, just by their conscience, mm-hmm. by how they're wired, you know, they will do things according to the law and understand right and wrong. And mm-hmm. that goes back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then it goes on and it says 15. I think this really clarifies it. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by by Christ Jesus. And so even though um, they didn't have the Ten Commandments and the written law, excuse me, yet, I think the Bible clearly states that um, all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, um, because we have a sense of the law <clears throat> of good and evil. We have a sense of the law with built within us, in our hearts, an understanding of what's right and wrong. And I think we would even confess, if everyone would even confess, if they were honest, that we don't even live up to our own standards that we hold. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, that we are convicted by our own conscience that we are not perfect. And so, yeah. So that's why all of us, all of us, every single person is in need of a savior mm. is in need of Jesus and the blood and the cross. And only through him do we come into right relationship with God. Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, when you yeah when you look at it, it does look like oh that's kind of it seems like it goes against um, what the Bible talks about. Oh, 
it was not counted as sin because there was no law to break. But it's specific to, yeah, like the written law, uh, the law of Moses. But before that, God clearly states, like, there was a lot of evil in the world. That's why the flood happened. I mean, there's, it's not that, that people were pure and holy and there was no sin. There was sin, but like you said, it was more of a moral code. Like, it was written inside, but it wasn't yet written down like it was going to be in the future. So I think he's kind of just saying that, yeah, no matter what, it's it's been the the idea of sin and moral the morals or whatever have been there from the beginning but then god was trying to help the people have the law so that they could you know see well one that they couldn't fulfill it but then that he would also give them guidance and like boundaries um yeah okay so what do you guys think about the second part of eli's question where he says uh, if so, does that mean everyone who lived before the Ten Commandments were given is sinless and therefore in heaven? I think that's kind of the crux of what he was trying to get get at. Right, but that's what I was trying to get at too. Is like, yeah, that's they weren't sinless because they knew, like they knew it. They knew right from wrong. There's like a moral code inside them, but it wasn't like a written thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So for me, it's all have sinned and shall short mm-hmm. of the glory of God. Right. Yeah. That I think it's it's interesting. It's very interesting in Romans because it talks about where the law was given, sin increased, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So the law was never, in my mind, the law was never intended um, by God to be given so that we can live righteously. Right. It was actually given as a concrete, specific measuring to reveal to all of us that Oh, we fall far short, mm. and we all need Jesus. We all need the Lord. Yeah, I think too. To me, as I've studied the law and stuff, um, one of the things that I felt like the Lord has been highlighting to me in regards to the law is that it, it's a picture of what sets them apart from the rest of um, society, mm. right? Because why would He have to say these? This is the law, unless other people were breaking that, right? And so. The culture that they were coming from, uh, you know, they were living in Egypt for hundreds of years. The cultures that they were going to be going into, because they were going to go into the land of Canaan, right? They, God wanted his people to be set apart for him. And right, so I believe that this is also a picture that this is the type of people that represent me in a, a world that's not for me. And so... I think that's really when we, sometimes when we look at the law, we think of it just as rules, but I think it's also paints a picture for us of what the type of society that God wants us to live in and that he kind of, like we talked about before, predestined us to live in. And that's what we were made for, to live in that type of society. And yet we fall short. And and so um, that's why our society is not perfect and, you, and that's why everybody needs a savior. I love the verse, the law was given that sin might increase, but where sin increased, mm-hmm. grace increased all the more. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we're going to move on to our last question. Um, this person actually submitted two questions, so I think we're going to have enough time for the first one, and maybe we'll hint at the second one. But uh, <laughs> this is submitted by Robert Harris, and he actually was submitting questions way earlier than everybody else. So his questions are actually coming from the Gospels. And so the first question is, in Mark 13, 
What did Jesus mean when he said, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all these things take place concerning his return. So I think um, just prior to that, um, just prior to that, um, Jesus was talking up there, or the disciples were asking Jesus, when will you return? What Mm -hmm. will be the signs of your coming? And then Jesus gives a whole list of different things to, for them to be watched watching for and to look in, look out for. Um, and then in this, that was verse 30 that you read, Damon, and verse 28, Jesus has now learned this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, so those are the things that Jesus had just talked about, wars, rumors of wars, mm-hmm. and the, um, you know, the the um, famine, trials, tribulations, and the, um, the um, I just lost my train of thought, the <laughs> abomination of desolation, right? When that, that shows up and all these different things. He says, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. And I think when he's talking about it is near, it's his second coming. It's mm-hmm. there and right mm-hmm. at the door. Then he says, I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. So I think when this the generation that sees all these things mm-hmm. unfold in completion and in fullness, that generation will witness and experience the second coming of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I refer to. Now, what is a generation, right? I know there's different. Um, understandings of what a generation is. I know um, traditionally what I, I think traditionally from a Old Testament Jewish perspective, it was about 40 years. Mm-hmm. 40 years was a generation. So, you know, but, you know, you could do, we could do with that, with that what we want. But mm-hmm. uh, I think the basic idea is when you see all of these things unfold, then you'll know that Jesus is right. return is imminent. And so that generation that sees those unfold will be the ones that see his return. Mm-hmm. That's what that's kind of what he's trying to get at. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah I think anytime you see like think terms like this generation, people refer like, oh, sh- should this have happened already? Right? Because we look at it through that that lens of this is, you know, at this point, thousands of years ago, mm-hmm. and then we read this generation. It's like, wait, should jesus have come back already mm-hmm. so i think sometimes when we read those we have where we talk about context is really important so looking at it in terms of the context that you were talking about with all of the famines rumors of wars all those types of things that's really the generation that he's talking about not necessarily the specific generation of the people he's talking to mm-hmm. right right i think too um for me you know like i think there's probably been every generation that mm-hmm. saw some of these things taking place right. and thought, oh, Jesus might be coming back soon. I mean, when I think back about the um, early church, mm-hmm. um, the persecution they suffered under mm-hmm. Nero and, uh, you know, some of those things um, being thrown to the, yeah. the wild animals and, and the Colosseum and all of that. Uh, Christians burned at the stake and all of that. Um I could see where they could have very well thought that Jesus's return was imminent. Um, but for me, this is just my own personal thing. Um, 
I think for me, the one the one thing that Jesus says of the list of things that stands out to me is um, verse 14 when he says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, let, then let them who are in Judea flee to the mountain. So, um, and that term abomination of desolation comes from Daniel, the book of Daniel. And just from my understanding, that refers to um, the man of lawlessness, which is probably the Antichrist, mm-hmm. standing where he should not be. And um, I take that, I interpret that as being in the temple, mm-hmm. right? And he, he does something to desecrate the temple, um, blaspheme God. Um, and so um, with that, I think there is... Um, the need and the necessity that mm-hmm. the temple has to be rebuilt. Mm. The Jewish temple has to be rebuilt. And, um, and so for me, um, that is one of the key signs that I keep in the back of my mind. Mm. You know, I think all these other things that are happening. Um, yeah, those are, those can point to it. But for me, that is, again, this is just my own personal mm-hmm. perspective, but that is the one kind of definitive sign that I like for and just again and for me too um, when I read these things I kind of, I tend to um, interpret them more literally and then I think there are there is theological and spiritual and figurative meanings as well mm-hmm. but I do think that um, like for this passage for example I think some of these things are meant to be taken um, literally mm-hmm. that they, as they will unfold and then there are definitely spiritual, theological, other kinds of meanings too. Yeah, yeah when I was looking up this passage too, I, I I found I came across three different kind of interpretations of what this generation could be. So this generation could have been the four people that were listening, um, or at least symbolically, and then it could be this generation could mean generated from these people that because there's there's four of them there that he was talking to. So like descendants, but then that one, it didn't seem like that would be right because true descendants from them would be, wouldn't be there at the tribulation. Like they would be removed. So then they wouldn't be seeing those things take place. And then, so yeah, the third one was the one you described. It's this generation means the peop- the generation that is actually witnessing that, that that's actually what's taking place. And then they said that seems to be the one that seems to make the most sense. So if you're interested um, in this, these types of topics, uh, it reminds me of this time when, as a church staff, we went to go hear someone talk about his book. And I'm pretty sure the book was called God's Tsunami. And it talks about some of the things to look for uh, before Jesus returns that help us to know or to be on the lookout. And so um, if you're interested, take, check out that book. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's called God's Tsunami, right? Mm-hmm. Peter Tsukihira. Yeah, it was it was a really interesting uh, talk, and the book is really interesting, uh, giving some of the just the historical movement of the church and and some of the things to look out for uh, as we prepare for Jesus' return. And just yeah, it was just really um, eye opening. So, do you guys want to tackle the the second question, or let's just go over it real briefly? Yeah. Okay. So the second question uh, that Robert submitted is from Luke chapter 12. And it's it's a little long. Are we going to read it or are we going to summarize it? 
That just summarized it, I think. Okay, so he the question is asked from Luke chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 36, and it goes through verse 40, and it's the story of um, servants who are waiting for their master. And there's actually two stories. Uh, one is in verse 36, and the second one is in verse 39. Sometimes when we read it, it looks like it's one story, but as we were kind of talking it through a little bit, it seems like it's it could be two stories. So uh, Robert's question is, uh, verses 36 through 38 refer to servants waiting for their master. The master is Jesus, and we are the servants. When verse 39 uh, refers to the master of the house, is it still referring to Jesus? And is this another way of saying, but of that day and hour, no one knows, even not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. Or is it now that the disciples are the master and Jesus is the thief? Uh, an example of that is, for you yourselves know perfectly that the, the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. So that's kind of a summary of the two stories too. It's like mm-hmm. the first story is kind of about uh, the servants waiting for the master. And the second story is about the servants being prepared because the thief is going to try to come in, in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we had some discussion before we came on air about this passage. And um, I think um, just from our discussion and then looking up some things, um, to me, um, the, the, key, the key question revolves, revolves around verse 39. Before mm-hmm. that, because before that, Jesus is um, talking about um, just be ready, mm-hmm. be ready, be ready, be on alert. Um, don't get spiritually dull. You know, you don't know when he's going to return. So um, just we need to be on alert and be ready. Um, and then on, in verse 39, it, like Damon read, he says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allow his house to be broken into. And so something that I found was interesting, that phrase broken into, let me go back to the Greek word, it refers to um, a thief who digs through, who digs through, breaking into means digs through. And at that high, at that time they had clay, you know, brick houses, mud houses. <laughs> and so the idea would be that a thief would of a of someone that had a wealthy home that uh, typically they would bar the door lock the door or if they were wealthier even uh, yeah they would have a lock even on their door so they would lock the door bar the door but this kind of implies um, from what i read this implies uh, a person digging through the wall of the house as to be able to break in unnoticed coming at night when they wouldn't wake up the people and have to, so trying to slip in, break in silently, steal the stuff and, and leave and leave quickly. And so um, I think the idea when Jesus says, if the owner of the house knew the hour that the thief would come, he would be up and prevent it. So what's, I think what Jesus is implying is right. When he returns, like a thief, like the thief in the night. Mm-hmm. Um, the only way you could be ready is if you're alert all the time. Like mm-hmm. the owner of the house, the only way he could have been ready because he didn't know the exact hour would be if he stayed up all night mm-hmm. watching and waiting. And so I think it's a a double emphasis. Jesus is making a double emphasis to 
be ready and alert for when he comes. And um, there's several passages, different passages, First Thessalonians 5.2, 2 Peter 3.10, Revelation 3.3, Revelation 16.15, that talk about um, Jesus coming like a thief or returning like a thief because we won't know, we will not know the day or the hour mm -hmm. specifically. But I think that's a good word for us today. Mm -hmm, for we sure. need to be ready. We need to be alert. Yeah. yeah. It just, it's the contrast between a, like active waiting and passive waiting, right? Like passively. Oh yeah. Like not really paying attention. It's just kind of letting things pass by versus like actually being attentive listening for sounds, um, clues that, that something's happening. Yeah. yeah, and when you said it's a double emphasis, that was a very uh, Jewish uh, literary... Um, style? Yeah, style, that they would repeat things to show, to put emphasis on it, right? So if we think of in the Bible, there's only one place where something is repeated three times, and it's that the Lord is holy, 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 and it's to show... There's nothing that's like God's holiness. Mm -hmm. It's so, he's so holy that there's nothing like it. Right. And so uh, in Jewish literature, they would say something two times just to emphasize how important or how grand or how big it is. So it's a very, it's a very Jewish thing for them to say, do for Jesus to say this twice. It's so important for us to be ready mm -hmm. It's not just something that you just say once. It's something that you have to repeat because it, it, it's that important. Good yeah. word. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's good, Damon. That's good. Um, uh, let me just, uh, if I could just take a moment to just share a personal word mm -hmm. with um, our listeners and especially our church family. Um, you know, going through the pandemic, kind of going through the lockdowns, and kind of witnessing all that has been happening in the world today and really seeing how people reacted mm. and choices that were made and how I would see a lot of people choosing the path of convenience over conviction. Mm. Um, that really shook me, actually. It, it really... Um, yeah, it, it really shook me because I thought, am I or are people or is our church family ready? Would we be ready if the tribulation was actually, the tribulation was actually unfolding mm. and Jesus was about to return? And um, I felt like, I don't know. Mm. I don't think we are. And... Um, I think I felt a strong, st very strong, which I carry today, burden and conviction of we have to get ourselves, I have to get myself, we have to get our church family prepared mm. best we can because, um, you know, no one knows the day or hour, mm -hmm. but um, just the way things are happening in the world. And I think for me, the difference between today's society and all the other previous generations that thought maybe Jesus was coming back. It's the global nature of what's happening. I think like none other time in history, certain things are happening in a global nature. And you could clearly see there is 
an agenda. There's people trying to move the world towards a one world government, which I think is prophesized in Revelation. So, yeah, so I think it's just a word. It's the word is prepare for all of us. It's we need to prepare. We need to grow in resilience. We need to, um, yeah, I think just be spiritually awakened and alert and vigilant in these days. Yeah, I know that that word convenience is really one of the enemy's strongest weapons um, right now against us, and things are easier and simpler, and that's what gets pushed a lot. But then that also weakens it, it weakens us as a society. But then that that transfers over into our spiritual, you know, um, strength and determination too. So Catalyst family, let's we're getting prepared. <laughs> Catalyst family, we are getting prepared. It's calling all of us, calling myself out. Um, yeah, I think the midnight cry is going forth. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a great way to end this episode. So thanks again, Pastor Barry, for coming on and sharing some insight on helping us answer some of these questions from our listeners. Love you all. Love you all, and I know myself and our and our leadership and elders are committed and lo- want and love you and just want the best for our church family as we move forward. And I I know there's a bunch of listeners out there. We have regular listeners that haven't yet submitted a question. So when we do this again, I think I think we should do one more before the year ends. Um, I want to hear some different voices. So. As you're reading, like Pastor Barry said, as you're reading through our, our Bible plan, anything from now uh, until we actually do it, just write it down. And there's there's some great questions out there that I think uh, would be a blessing to our church to hear. So I want to encourage some new voices to come on out. All right. Until next time, may you experience God's heart for you to flourish in every season. Thanks for listening to the Engage to Flourish podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and encourage you to subscribe on Apple, Google, or Spotify so that you don't miss any new content. You can also check out our sister podcast, Catalyst Stories, available on multiple platforms as well. We would also love for you to check out our church. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at Stanford Middle School in Long Beach.